It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the Car Doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. I thought I thought I couldn't hear myself there for a minute. It's that uh, tricky microphone button. Yeah. Sorry, getting back in the swing of things. Yeah, again. I know you've been. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, welcome to the Car Doctor Program. It is a chilly uh, five, six, seven, three degrees. Uh, it's chilly out. You know, I don't, wherever you are, it's. Uh, when I left the house, it was about four. On the way here, it dropped to three. In Marina Bay, I think it's seven. It's busy. It's, it's busy. just cold. It's cold. It's it, cold. It You're is right. It's freezing. It's, it's got chilly. It's freezing. Yeah. It's brutally cold. Do not go out if you don't have to. Just listen to us for the rest of the morning. There you go. Good idea. Listen to us, then listen to the Irish Hit Parade. It'll all be good. So, uh, But uh, welcome to the last show of the year, the last program of the year here on AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston, or if you're listening on Sunday night, AM 1260 WBIX. Uh, but uh, you can you can give us a call. We are we do have a guest lined up. We'll be talking to uh, we'll be talking to him in just a bit. Um, Gunther Berman, he is the founder of the uh, Newport Auto Museum. So we'll be talking to him in just a bit. We'll also be keeping you up to date on what's happening in the automotive industry and as well as a review of the little Kia Rio hatchback. So we'll be talking so we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, so we got a lot of things. Got a lot of things going on. So everything should be everything should be, you know, coming up the way it's supposed to come up. Um, I, as I was walking in the building th- this morning, uh, one of the guys at the building here said to me, Oh, did I see you on Chronicle the other night? Yes, yes you may have. It was a rerun. I was it was from a couple months ago. But, uh, yes, I was on Chronicle the other night talking about uh, uh, electric vehicles and uh, hybrid vehicles and all kinds of other stuff. With us on the phone is Gunther Berman. He is the founder of the Newport Auto Museum. Uh, When we think about auto museums here in New England, you know, we think about Owl's Head, maybe Lars Anderson, Heritage uh, (laughs) Plantation, and Wells. Uh, but the Newport Auto Museum's new. Good morning, Gunther. Welcome to the uh, Car Doctor program here in Boston. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And first off, how'd you get the name Newport Auto Museum? That uh, I would, well, you know, that that was that was some very good marketing. Well, actually, it's a Newport Car Museum. Oh, okay. The Newport uh, Car Museum. All right. Uh, dot dot org. It's a not, it's a not for profit yep. and. Um, I, um, Newport, you know, has been a great historic attraction for lots of things, the mansions, et cetera. And with that kind of traffic, we figured that doing a, a good-sized car museum like ours, 50 cars, 110,000-square-foot building, would be an attraction as people blended their way down to Newport to see the other attractions. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, every time, you know, and, and I work for the AAA, our office is in Providence, and every time it seems like the topic turns to cars, people people ask me, you know, about the Newport uh, Car Museum and, you know, have, have I been there yet? What's it like? Uh, you, you have created quite a buzz. Well, we're we're so happy that uh, that we could uh, put a, a museum of this type in, in the area. Uh, as you know, USA Today has just nominated us in the last month as one of the ten best new attractions in America. Which you know we were floored by that designation. But um, you know we've tried to put together a museum that um, appeals to everyone. We sort of start in 1954 and go to the latest. Um, uh, latest in the end of the Viper line in, in terms of Chryslers and a new NSX. And so we've got some, some new cars, old cars, five different galleries, Ford, Shelby, every Corvette model from the C1 to the uh, C7, and looking forward to um, the new ZR1, uh, world cars with Porsches and Jaguars and BMWs and Mercedes and NSXs, and then the thin car area, which is a, sort of a walk down memory lane for people. You know, the 50s, uh, big thin cars, including a 59 Cadillac and a 57 DeSoto, and then Mopar with a Hemi Cuda and a Hellcat and uh, a bunch of Vipers, including um, a, uh, a, a 70. Uh, Superbird that goes beep beep when horn. So we have an attraction, hopefully for for uh, everybody's interest in in, in automobiles. Uh, mainly, what we're looking for is, is cars that are really works of art. And um, unlike most car museums, where there's a lot of um, velvet ropes separating the cars with big signs, this our museum you can walk around the cars and look inside, and they're on platforms. No barriers and you can take pictures and things so we've had um over fifteen thousand visitors since we opened june one and uh you know being being nominated for one of the best new attractions i mean really shows that you have uh not just created a great space but you've created a great space that appeals to a lot of different people and like you said um you know, as you know, as you just ran through the different types of vehicles that are there, you you really do. I mean, you appeal to um, multiple generations of car lovers. Well, it, it, we have a lot of interactive. We have in each of those galleries. There's a, a little vignette of video that you can sit and watch some of the history of the particular cars in that gallery. Plus, we have a simulator room with uh, with eight simulators, so you can take any car out in any racetrack in the world and, and uh, race it yourself. So after a, a visit to the museum, uh, if, you, if, if you're so inclined and excited about the visit and want to go drive on, uh, faster than you can on the highway, we have a, a venue that a venue, uh, affords people the opportunity to do that as well. Well, that, and, no, and no speeding tickets? No, uh, no, well, we get virtual tickets. I have a virtual um, body shop, so if you crash any of, of my cars in the in the simulator room, I I, I send you a virtual bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as long as I can send you virtual money back, it's all fine. Yeah, uh, and it, and it's not going to be and it's not going to be Bitcoin, by the way, just so you know. So, uh, uh, where where do the cars come from? Who's who's whose cars are they? Well, they're all mine, oh. and they, they come from various places. 
you know, I've, I've, I purchased them off eBay. I purchased them at, Gal- at um, auctions. I purchased them uh, through pri- from private collections and things. Uh, so uh, it comes from a myriad of, uh, of different sources, and I'm sort of a, a um, serial collector. So we, we, we get so, sort of new cars all the time and, and sell the ones that uh, we, we try to improve the breed on a regular basis yeah. to have. Uh, the best cars. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I guess once, I guess if you have more than one of something, you're a collector. So, I guess I guess <laughs> that's the case. Yeah, the first, the first, uh, this would be of interest to uh, the gearhead part of the, your audience, and that is that the the first uh, the first weekend of every month we have we have hoods up at the museum, so you can go not only and and look at the beautiful art that those cars are, but also <laughs> look at the mechanics because the hoods are up, and you can. Take a look at the engines, which I think are, in many cases, almost as beautiful as the cars. Yeah, absolutely. And and what was what was your what was your first collectible car? Um, well, my first collectible car, which is now in the in the gallery, it's a convertible. I had a hard top. My first car that I purchased myself for two hundred ninety five dollars was a fifty seven Desoto, mm. and I drove it to my construction job. Took it to the drive-in with a bunch of my buddies and helped to beat the dollar head charge. Uh, <laughs> uh, I it a few times, but I didn't get home in time and things. So it was uh, it was it was collectible, but also very utilitarian. Mm. <laughs> and, and it's I mean, it, actually, it, actually, I had my first real collectible car I inherited from my uncle. It was a '66 um, 289 Mustang convertible. What I like about the the listing of cars in your collection is I understand every one of them. You know, I w- I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talk we were talking about collector cars and um and they were talking about some cars some some uh brass era cars and and that's a little early for me. Uh you know, those are cars that I don't necessarily I get them, I understand why people love them. Uh, but the cars that you have in your collection are cars that I've known my whole life one way or another. Well, th- th- that's one of the points. One, somebody said, why don't you have any pre-war cars? And um, really, I try to appeal to an audience that um, now, um, you know, a grandfather, his son, and his grandson can come in and see something that he that they really enjoy. And brass-era cars... Um, many of the people who love those cars have sort of aged out or are no longer with us. And um, so we really try to stay current. And, and as I say, we have everything from, you know, the, the, the 54 Skylark and the, and the 54 Corvette to, mm. um, to the latest thing off the, the assembly line. Um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I appreciate those, those uh, uh, brass era cars and, you know, the model fees and things. I think they're, they're wonderful, but um, I, I I do think that um, you know it's a, a bit like the Renaissance. The Benetis sponsored Michelangelo to do all these wonderful works of art during the Renaissance, and mm. when the fifties came along, um, there were no no De Benetis, but the car companies had a lot of money and hired these wonderful artists and stylists and designers who created some of the most iconic cars that we have, and and at a time when you can differentiate what cars look like. Today, I, in some respects, it's um, many of the cars are, I call them appliances like refrigerators. Mm. 
you can't tell the difference between a lot of the models. That being said, I think this is an amazing era of, of slow cars. Again, I mean, when you can go to a showroom and buy a Hellcat that's 707 horsepower or even a, a new uh, Demon that's 840 horsepower, um, even though we have this appliance, I call appliance cars out there, they're remarkable automobiles being built these days. There, there are, but I, but I think you're right. There's some remarkable cars. The technology is remarkable, but they are pretty traditional, you know, kind of three box cars. So, you know, I'm looking out in our parking lot now, and there's, uh, there's a Camry, there's a Corolla, there's a Hyundai, there's a, you know, another Toyota. How can you tell? Yeah, How can you it, tell? How can you yeah tell? well. It, it is it is a little hard to tell, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, um, you know, with the exception of you know, like you you said, you have one of every Corvette uh, from the C1 to the C7. You know, I think those you know GM for the most part had had you know a certain amount of style in those, and and I have to admit, it took me a while to warm up to the new to the new Corvette. Yeah, I. And but but again, if you if you kind of take a look at the lines and 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 what what they're doing, uh, despite the the fact that we 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 love to see C one through C four C five, the new one is a special work of art as well. Yeah, I think. yeah, and I and you and you said the Acura NSX. The NSX is a beautiful car. Uh, well, I, I you know I, I think you probably know that it was designed by a woman. Yeah. Be short for BMW, um, and it took them ten years to get it right. I guess, and it's a it's a remarkable car. I call it my poor man's nine eighteen Porsche. You know, uh, electric um, motors on the front wheels, one on the back, and five hundred horsepower. It's, yeah. it's pretty amazing automobile. Yeah, technology is spectacular. Yeah, you're right. Compared compared to the Porsche, you you saved two hundred. You saved eight hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> well, maybe even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, and and do you know when you're in town? Do you uh, do you uh, you know open the door and, and take a car for a ride? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things when we designed it, each of the platforms has a ramp, so <clears throat> we can take the cars out, and I do take them out. And uh, in fact, we just got a um, a '67 GT. Uh, 350 with a Paxson supercharger, pretty rare car, mm-hmm. beautifully, yep. beautifully stored. And it came off the truck, and I drove it around for an hour or so. And as I'm coming back to the museum, um, this gentleman is walking out the, the walkway, and I sort of recognize him. We start to talk, and he was one of the first members of the museum. We have memberships. And um, I said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I'm just on my way home. I spent a little time at the museum because I'm a member, and I always like to come back for an hour or two, and, and I, I said, "Well, if you're not doing anything, hop in." So we, mm. we went for a, a ride in one of the cars that's now in the exhibit. So um, we have lots of fun with the cars, and you know, I'm trying to get a demon so that uh, every Saturday morning uh, we don't have quite a quarter of a mile, but we have an eighth of a mile every Saturday morning. We can take it out and um, and woo our um, our our fans that. That come to the museum by lighting up. Yeah, there lighting you, up there, the there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I thought for a minute there when you said you were you know you were the car came off the truck and there was somebody coming out of the museum. I thought it was going to be your uh, your new Newport neighbor, uh, you know Jay Leno. 
Oh, that would that would be great. I, you know, I I would hope that uh, he would bring uh, some cars from uh, his uh, his hangars in Burbank or wherever he keeps uh, keeps his cars, um, you know, to Newport and 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 lets us um, and lets the, the people of Newport and and uh, the tourists that come down see some of his vehicles at the Newport Commons, and that would be that would be great. I I, I have not. Um, I know some members of his family have been to the museum, but uh, he is not yet. I don't know whether he's closed on his house, and, but uh, he's, he's a great addition to the, the Newport community, I think, especially because of his interest in cars and our interest in cars. So I'm sure we'll get together at some point. Well, Gunther, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Saturday morning. But before we do that, um, is there a link on the website to uh, the voting's the voting's just just about over but is there a link on the website to vote for the museum as as the top pick for the USA today uh, poll yeah if you go to newportcommuseum.org and just scroll down the page there's a place to, to vote there currently we're trailing evil Knievel and Elvis it would be nice, <laughs> it would yeah. be nice to yeah. To, to beat one of those guys. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I got to think you can beat Evil Knievel. You know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to beat Elvis, but. Um, I, th- I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think because of the season, the Bible Museum they might be ahead of us, too. So, But I would appreciate anyone who would be um, to to vote. And the, the wonderful thing is that you can vote, um, like they say in Chicago, early and often. You can vote every day. So any, anyone who would vote for us, that would be great. We'd love to you know, stay in the top ten of the best um, attractions in America. We're the only car museum. I think we're the only attraction in the, in the Northeast. So uh, it benefits everyone if we, if we, um, we do well in that, uh, that polling, I think. Well, I haven't been I haven't been there yet, but I owe it my, owe it to myself to get there and and check out check out the museum, check out the cars. Um, the hours of operation are um, ten to four. Um, in the summer, it's ten to six, and on yep. weekends, it's it, uh, it's generally ten to six. But it's ten to four these days when uh, when it's three degrees outside. Yep. Um, but I welcome you to come, and I'd be happy to give you a, a private tour, uh, or maybe you can. With all your knowledge of automobiles, maybe you can give me a tour. Tell me exactly what, what we have. But I'm I'm pretty confident that uh, you'll you'll enjoy yourself. Most people spend actually between an hour and a half and two hours going through. A part of that, obviously, is racing on the simulators and watching some of the movies and 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 looking obviously looking at the cars. So I welcome anyone uh, to come. The uh, the admission is eighteen dollars for ad- adults. Um, and we have a special for um, for seniors and military at 15. So there, there you go. And the actual address for the museum is well, it's 1847 um, West Main Road. It's the it's the Raytheon uh, comp, uh, campus. Yep. As you come down West Main Road on the front floor, and uh, we're the building right along the road. You'll see the signs out in front. But as you come through the guards gate, which looks ominous, but is wide open. Just make a left, and uh, with a big building in front of you. Sounds fantastic, uh, Gunther. Again, thank you for uh, for joining us here on uh, the Car Doctor program here in Boston, and I look forward to uh, coming to visit the museum and uh, um, you know try to try to stay warm. I guess so. 
Well, we look forward to having you, and you can stay warm, too, and let us know when you're coming down. And as I say, we'll, we'll, um, we'll roll out the red carpet for, for someone who's as knowledgeable of tires as you are, and, and uh, let's have some fun. All right. Thank you very much, and uh, have a wonderful right. and happy and safe New Year. Thank you very All much. Right. Thanks for All having right. me. All right. Good luck. Bye-bye. That was Gunther Berman. He is the founder of the Newport Auto Museum. Uh, just uh, uh, just uh, the idea of his took his collection and built a museum around it, which is uh, pretty impressive. The the uh, the the only the only other person. What was his name? The guy from the guy who did the Miami Auto Museum. Um, yeah, he had he had only he had one name. It was like it was like Madonna and. Uh, but he, he was he was Eng, he, English guy, and he owns the uh, owns the Miami. It's it's a it's kind of a museum restaurant, and uh, he said in England he has five hundred personal cars in his collection, and uh, but he uh, he parks all his cars around. Is it's like kind of a, almost a tent structure in Miami, and I think it was I think it was um, it was free it was free to go and see the cars but it was $1500 a table to eat so uh so a little out of my price range so like most of my, like most of Miami is so yeah so uh why don't we take a break pay some bills my name is John Paul this is the car doctor program it's the last car doctor program of the year so why don't you give us a call at 617-770-3030 617-770-3030 we'll be right back more settled in now my headphones were too loud i couldn't get to the i know it's all i get a lot of a lot of problems in my life what can i say uh well i thought i'd take a little time and talk about the car that got me here today which is the 2018 kia rio hatchback the all-new kia rio comes in both a four-door sedan and a hatchback there are three trim levels lx ex and s all are powered by the same 130 horsepower 1.6 liter four-cylinder engine manual and automatic transmissions are available and all trim options our road test was in the EX hatchback version with an automatic transmission. In these days where nearly every engine is developing 300 horsepower, the Kia Rio with only 130 may sound underpowered, but it actually performs pretty well. I think it's that combination of um, six-speed automatic transmission, the way they have the engine tuned. It works out pretty well. On city streets or out on the highway at speeds of at least up to 65 miles an hour, the Kia Rio does pretty well. I mean, I've been driving it back and forth to work out on the highway. performs well. Um, it's also pretty good uh, as far as um, quiet. You know, you don't feel like you're in a true economy car, even though that's really what it is. Um, it isolates you from road noise and 
bumps and they stretched the wheelbase out as far as they could go with it, which helped improve the ride. So there's no choppiness, which is kind of nice. Um, for an economy car, like I said, it's it's reasonably quiet. The Rio is also um, a, a nimble, good handling small car that, like I said, rides pretty well. The seats are reasonably comfortable, even after a few hundred miles of driving. At six feet tall, I had a pretty decent head and leg room. Uh, the controls are straightforward and simple. The test, this, our test car had Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. And I don't know what you know about Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, but um, the, um, the idea that you can sync your phone, and I have an iPhone, like 60% of the people that have phones, I guess, and I plugged it, plugged it into the port, and I could use at least, I don't know, a half a dozen of the apps on my phone in the car, including navigation, which means that the navigation system is always up to date because the maps on my phone are always up to date. So it displays on the on the 7-inch screen, and it works pretty well. Um, if I wanted to listen to Pandora in my eight music selections in Pandora or wanted to listen to the music that's already on my phone – right through the system works good um also i have TuneIn radio as an app and it brought up the TuneIn app which means i can listen to radio stations all around the country including this one and including the car doctor podcast which are also on TuneIn. so i heard myself which i never really like doing uh but they load automatically on TuneIn. uh but there is um there is a little tiny radio station in florida that i listen to and it's in the town where, well, if I ever live there, that's the town I live in, and um, it's and it's a and it's a little it's it's a um, I think there's one employee, the guy who owns it, and I don't think it's a very powerful station. I don't I, uh, it's, I think it's almost like a um, like a school station. I think it's maybe twenty five watts or something. But it's actually fairly interesting because they do actually have weather and traffic reports and what's going on in town. And the idea that I'm listening to it here in my car when the station's 1,500 miles away and the quality's good is pretty good technology. Just like if you want to listen to this program and you're in Florida and we've had some Florida residents call us before. Um, and the idea that you can do that with an app and do it driving down the road Pretty good, pretty good. So I, I really kind of like the Apple CarPlay app. Um, and I've tried it in other cars. And for some reason, this car, it works extremely well. Other cars, it hasn't worked as well. But this one works really well. Um, the rear seat has seatbelts for three. Yeah, three real people aren't going to fit in there. Three big people are not going to fit there. Three kids might fit back there. Yes. How's the legroom? In the back? Eh. If I move the front seat up a little bit, you could probably squish in the back. Um, but it's a little tight. It's a little tight. It's not as tight as – I mean, this is a small car. And when you're sitting in the front seat with the seats all the way back, you don't actually notice it's a small car. When you sit in the back seat, you go, oh, this is a small car. But when you sit in the front seat, you don't actually it's, – it's actually not – it doesn't feel small. So – um, so if I had two adults back there, yeah, short trips. That's about all you'd want to do. Uh, our buddy Jeff, who's here in the overnights, um, he he gets off usually at 8 o'clock. 
And uh, but when he when he when he stays a little bit later, I sometimes give him a ride to the tee, and he w- he would have fit okay in the back. He would have been fine for at least a short period of time. It seems like they spent all the money on getting the front seats comfortable and not as much about the back. Um, the, this uh, particular vehicle had a split folding rear seat, which doesn't isn't that way, I believe, in the base model. But at least you can put longer things in the back seat uh, or in the trunk area or hatch area, whatever you want to call it, and still utilize the seat in the back so you can still carry at least three people. Um, with the rear seat folded, cargo area is actually pretty good. Um, because it is a hatchback, there's there's a lot of room. And even with the seats up, there claims to be 14 cubic feet of cargo space, uh, which isn't bad either. That's about the trunk of a lot of uh, mid-sized cars. Fuel economy is also pretty competitive for a small car. EPA rates this car 29 city, 37 on the highway. Um, the onboard trip computer says I've been averaging about 35 and a half miles per gallon. So pretty good commuter car if you're getting 35 miles a gallon with it. Um, although it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Um, it's almost like, unless you drive an SUV, a bigger SUV, smaller to mid-sized cars now, fuel economy starting to come up. And we're starting to see a lot more cars that are showing, you know, 30, 31, 32, 35, 37 miles per gallon, which is, which is good to see that because although I was going to say gas is getting cheaper or more expensive, depending where you go. Uh, the gas station, uh, oddly, there's a, there's a um, BP station near my house, and they were the, one of the highest-priced gas stations. Now they're one of the lowest-priced gas stations. Um, there's a Sitco station near my house that's the highest. The independent guys have went down, then they went back up again. So gas prices are bouncing all over the place. So bottom line, the, the, Rio, the Kia... Rio stacks up well against competition, such as the Honda Fit and Ford Fiesta. So kind of put it in that category size-wise. Add in Kia's warranty and overall price. If you're looking for a subcompact car, the Rio by Kia should be at the top of your list. Base price, $13.9. Price is tested, so with Apple CarPlay, um, you know, pretty much all the bells and whistles. If I had to add one whistle or one bell this time of year, seat heaters. Or maybe remote car start. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been, I have, I, there is no need to go start your car on a cold morning unless you want to be warm. But as far as actually adding to the longevity of your car, you are, by the time you get out and start it and settle in, so put your seatbelt on, adjust the controls, find WROL on the radio. That's really all the time you need to warm up your car. But you need to drive it easily until the car comes up to temperature. A lot of people think in cold weather, well, I need to go out and warm up my car so it makes the engine last longer. The problem is you've warmed up the engine, but you haven't warmed up the transmission. You haven't really warmed up the differential. You haven't warmed up the brakes. Um, So you're much better off getting in the car, starting it up, and just driving like it's a brand new car until it comes up to temperature. In fact, some cars, Toyota, Volkswagen, maybe even Subaru, there's a blue light that comes on when it's really cold. And that's a light that tells you, take it easy until the car comes up to temperature. And that's what adds to longevity of vehicles. With this cold weather, a lot of, a lot of other people, and I did a couple of TV interviews in the last couple of days, and people said, what do you do? 
And I said, well, hopefully you've been doing this a long, you know, you should have been prepared for this kind of weather, but people haven't been. We've been, we've been averaging a, almost a thousand road service calls an hour. 60% of those calls are for cars that don't start. So dead batteries, whatever. Um, the second ones have been for um, tire-related. Tire and then the third ones are for people who went out to start up their cars and warm them up and then lock their keys in their car. <laughs> We've been doing a fair amount of those. So, um, and a lot of times when people buy a used car, especially with these um, new expensive keys, a lot of times you only get one key. Uh, so I recommend to anybody who goes out to buy a used car, if the, the second question they should ask, I guess, whatever the first one is, I'm not sure, but the second question they should ask, does the car come with two keys? And if it doesn't, say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in the car, but I want a second key and a second remote. Because you should have one, and they can cost, they can cost several hundred dollars or more depending on the car. But um, a, a lot of people say, well, I, I don't really know about my car, so I want to go out and I'm going to go out and start it every couple hours just to make sure it starts when I need it. Not a great idea because every time, and this is sort of a little bit of an old wives' tale sort of thing, but every time you start a car, it takes about five, six, seven miles of driving to recharge the battery for the amount of electricity you've taken out of it. And on a cold day, on a 30 degree day, it takes about 30% more energy to crank the engine over because the oil's a little thicker, the parts are cold, the starter's cold. Um, so it's going to take a little more energy to crank the engine over. At zero degrees, your 600 amp battery might only be capable of 300 amps. So on a really cold day, if you go out and every few hours and start up the car and just let it sit there for a minute and go, oh, okay, it started. If you keep doing that, by the time you really need your car on, say, Tuesday morning, after the Monday holiday, it may not start because you've actually taken away electricity from the battery and never replenished it. So you're actually better off just letting it sit until you actually need to go out and start it rather than go out and periodically restart it. Better off you would be go out and drive it every couple of days and take it out for a 20 minute, 30 minute drive. So go get the, you know, go get milk and eggs or whatever people do. I got a couple questions. All right. Related to this very subject. Um, my rogue. Yes. Um, is very sluggish in this cold weather to start. It rumps up to over three, 3,000 RPMs, yep. whatever that. Yeah. All right. Um, and it takes a few minutes for it to get going and stuff like that. And is that it? something i should be concerned with or just is that something that's normal um it shouldn't be sluggish i mean you should you should get in it turn turn the key push the button whatever makes it start and it should start up it should rev up a little come back down and that should be it okay um shouldn't do anything i mean you could give it a little gas a little you know yeah tap the gas a little bit but other than that that's really all that should happen okay and now um based on some things that are going on um there's two cars down in the cape that have been in the garage mm -hmm. um that have not been started at least in a f few weeks anyways mm -hmm. um should they be started at least once i would tr i would try to start them every three weeks okay month at the most okay. and then take them for a half an hour drive 
So, and if you can't do that, at least start it up, drive it to the end of the driveway, put it in reverse, back up, do that a little bit to sort of exercise the transmission, and that way it gets all the fluid circulating around. But the best thing is um, starting it up and driving it. That would be the best thing. Okay. So um, a lot of times what happens, especially people that put cars into storage, they'll go out every week or so, start it up, and just let it run. Well, really all you've done when you, when you start a car up, there's always, a, even a modern car, there's always a little extra fuel. And that extra fuel is designed to go, that doesn't get burned, it gets mixed in with the oil, and we, when the oil gets up to temperature, it sort of burns off the, all those contaminants. So condensation, fuel, everything that goes on inside an engine. Well, if all you do is start it up and go, eh, well, let, it, let it run for a minute, yeah, okay, it seems fine, I'll shut it off, you've added contaminants to the oil. So in that case, you're better off, let it just sit there and don't worry about it. What I would do until you figure out what's going to go on is I would go and get both cars, start them up, go to any store and get something called gas stabilizer. Uh, Stable is a na- one, S-T-A-B-I-L. Um, they actually have a marine version. It's kind of a blue color. I tell myself it's better because it costs a dollar more. Um, and go put stable in both cars, and it'll take like maybe four ounces in each car. And that keeps the fuel from going bad. So add that, fill up the gas tanks, go back. The other thing you should do is, depending if you're in a any kind of a wooded area, um, you need to watch out for critters, mice and such. And some cars are much more appealing to critters than others. Um, some cars use, instead of using petroleum byproducts to cover the wiring harnesses and the seat foam, like most foam is made out of some form of petroleum, a lot of cars today are using soy-based products, and apparently soy-based foam and soy-based wire tastes good to mice and stuff, and they can chew through things and cause lots of trouble. So what I would do is, um, while you're out warming up the cars and getting stable and stuff, I would get go to a hardware store, and you can get these. They look like tea bags, but they're filled with oil of spearmint. And kind of that way, it's not like mothballs that stink. This is smells like lifesavers. And put them around inside the engine compartment, maybe even one inside the car, and a couple in, in the garage. And that's going to keep that, they claim, will keep mice away. Um, other people say use, like, downy dryer sheets. Um, but you just don't want, you don't want critters taking up residence in there. Because they will chew the wires. And I was, um, I heard something on the news the other day, some woman who lives in Boston. And uh, she came She came out and her car wouldn't start. She had it towed to the garage. And rats actually were living in it. And uh, ate up her wiring harness. So she figured it was just a one-time thing. Happened again. And uh, she ended up having the car towed to her summer home, wherever her summer home is, just so that wouldn't happen. But the idea that, um, you know, they can't, they can't, so, yeah. And the other thing you might want to do is every tire has a maximum inflation pressure, so 35 pounds, for instance. Max out the tire pressure because while, while the car is sitting, they're going to lose a little bit of air. So where you might normally keep 30 or 31 pounds or 32 pounds of air, run them right up to 35. You know, if you went a little higher, 36, 37, you're not going to hurt anything. 
Um, that way, it's going to help. Other than that, maybe crack the windows open a little bit so the car can kind of breathe. Um, and then just when you, you know, then you'll be in a little bit better shape. You may still find that if you don't do anything, you, you've done this, you put it away, and you didn't get back till June, you may find that you're going to have to jumpstart the car or, or charge up the battery, whatever the case is. But that's pretty much, the, you know, and where it's sitting in a garage, you have less issues with um, rust that can build up on brake systems, but you still will get some. So if when you go to leave the driveway, you're going to, drive you're going to drive out and you're going to step on you're going to step on the the brakes and you're going to hear <laughs> it's not that the brakes suddenly wore out there's they just have rust on them yeah so that's what i would do at least give it a shot see what happens so nothing nothing you, you looked like you were about to press your button so i just um but anyway so that you know that's that's what i would that's what i would try to do and that, that will help so again, if you're going to keep your car, if you're going to keep your car outside in the winter time, and you're worried about what to do uh, to maintain it, um, to make sure it will start on, especially um, when it comes to making sure that your car is um, going to start on. Maybe maybe you have a two or three car household, and one car is not being used because somebody went on vacation for the week. Those are kind. Of, those are the kind of problems that can certainly happen. And um, you you want to be able to take care of that. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. And let's talk to Tom. Tom, is that you? Yes, that's me. Hey, How are you doing, John? Good. How are you? Happy New Year. hope yeah. everything goes well. Um, question for you. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for all your help over the year. I've called for little things here and there, and it's been a lot of help, so I want to thank you for that. My next question is, how do you remote start electric car to warm it up so it's not cold outside? Um, well, they actually have they actually have timer systems in them, which will actually turn on. I mean, they have heaters in them, so even though it's an electric car, but they have heaters in them, so you can actually you can actually set them to, and best. They're best done when they're plugged in, if they're charging up. That way, you're not taking away any of the battery capacity. So um, so you can set them up so it, you know, a half an hour before you go to use a car, the heater comes on and warms up the car and, and turns the seat heaters on. And all you're doing then is you're just pulling from your electricity at your house or the charging station and not uh, pulling from the electricity on the batteries. So. In what form of heat do they have? Was it an electric heater or something? Uh, usually it's, a, it's an electric heat pump system. So... Um, it's like it's like a, it's not like a, a, a um, it's not like a radiant heater like a electric wire that gets hot. Um, mm. It's a it's a uh, most of them I've seen use a like a almost looks like a heat pump that you know you would have like a mm-hmm. you know, small version of what's in a hotel room kind of thing. So it makes heat oh, and okay. air conditioning. Yeah. Now you're you're very pro electric cars. I'm just wondering how come you don't own one as of yet. Like, price ratio yeah or? yeah the the one yeah. i the one that i would want to buy i would have to have bobby brooks money but mm. and bobby brooks just walked in that's why i said it so um but um it, you know the thing the thing about i i like the idea of an electric car i think they're pretty interesting but i right. also like the idea of being able to drive you know a couple hundred miles without having to worry about it and with the exception of the new chevrolet bolt and a tesla you're sort of limited. Even the new uh, 
Nissan Leaf is about a 150-mile range car, which isn't bad. Um, but still, you know, if I look at my typical commute, um, you know, I commute 100 miles or so round trip back and forth to work. So most of the electric cars that are on the market right now that I would consider somewhat affordable, um, I can't, you know, they wouldn't work for me. Um, okay. And and to be honest with you, I, you know, to spend, you know, I'm I'm looking to replace one of our cars now, and you know, my budget my budget is you know probably under twenty five thousand, not under forty five thousand. So, um, so you know, it is it is um, it is the cost relationship of what I'm going to get you know, for my money and what will work best. And I think electric cars right now, not quite there for me. Um, I, you know, I went for a ride in a Tesla, fantastic car, great power and performance. In fact, the car doctor from, uh, former car doctor, car doctor emeritus, I guess, from WTIC radio in Hartford, um, he just recently bought a Tesla. And he's a guy who keeps his, his, I think he has a Volkswagen that's maybe a 2010. Prior to that, I think he had a 1985 Volvo. So he keeps his cars a long, long, long time. And um, he decided to buy a Tesla. And I think for a couple of reasons, I think he was looking at the big tax deduction you can get, the $7,500 tax credit. And he also has a lot of uh, photoelectric stuff at his house. Um, and he's got uh, he's got a four car garage, so he can you know keep it inside, plug it in. He has it just plugged into you know something that doesn't look any different than a dryer outlet, and uh, right. he can he can keep it charged up, and and it's pretty efficient for him. So now, where where does the the say the cost ratio from electric to gasoline? Which one is ahead? I mean, where you get you know people say, oh, I get an electric car, it doesn't cost me that. Well, that's not true. Where, where does that break? The only thing I see where the electric car advantage is is that there's, there's a lot of free places right now, the incentives, right. like right. you could go right. some travel, and that maybe right now is a good time for that. But what about the cost of the car versus the, you know, the price of yeah. the electricity? No, if, if, you the had, if you had to compare, if you had to compare a Chevy Bolt to a similar size car that right. got 35 miles per gallon, it's right. it's pretty it's pretty hard because even you know the average price per kilowatt hour is about fifteen cents plus all the other stuff they add to it. So you know if you if it's got a sixty kilowatt hour battery in it and it costs you and it costs you say twenty cents for easy math to charge it up and you can go two hundred fifty miles. Well, it makes it sound like it's a pretty good deal, but on the other hand, you're paying. Fifteen thousand dollars more, or twenty thousand dollars more for a similar size car. So, especially if you looked at something like a Chevy Cruze versus a Chevrolet Bolt, and you said, "Well, one gets thirty-five miles per gallon, the other cost me twenty cents per kilowatt hour," and but I have twenty thousand dollars to spend on gasoline. Hmm. It's a it's a hard it's a hard number to make it make sense. Right. Uh, yeah. If you took that Volt. What car would you compare that to, uh, uh, taking away the, the electric part of it mm. versus, you know, to a gas car, is drivability, comfort, all the features. Yeah. What car would you kind of compare that to in cost? Yeah, in the Chevrolet Bolt with the B, not the V, the Bolt with the B, which is fully, okay. elect- which is fully electric, um, 
I would well, it, it's it's a small four door sort of hatchbacky sort of car, so. I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, maybe the Kia Rio that I'm driving, um, it's a little taller than that, but maybe. So, um, difference in cost now. Yeah, I mean, twenty twenty grand, twenty grand different Mm -hmm. cost, and even even if you said, well, the the electric part of it makes a ton of sense, and I'm paying very little for electricity, especially if I can charge up for free, twenty thousand dollars buys a lot of gasoline. Sure. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Well, I'm where you are at. Yeah. That's the way I yeah. look at it. But, I get a lot of debates with yeah. people, and they say that dollar yeah. for dollar, it's really not there. Yeah. And and the other, you know, but every once in a while, when gas prices go up, you know, gas prices all of a sudden go from two dollars to three dollars a gallon, and people trade in their Ford Explorer and buy a Ford Escape because it gets ten more miles per gallon. But that mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense either because they just traded in a car that they might own and bought a car that cost them twenty five thousand dollars, and it's like. Okay, I got fifteen thousand on my trade in. I traded in that car. I got a new car, and I but I had to pay ten thousand dollars more. If there was nothing wrong with the old car, again, ten thousand dollars buys a lot of gasoline too, and you know would buy ten thousand more gallons of gasoline. Um, so yeah. you know, but people do that all the time. So yeah, yeah, just for the newer yeah. too. But yeah. yeah, so yeah. I'm in the same line as yeah. you, thinking about yeah. electric cars when no. I see it. I just say if I'm going dollar for dollar. In numbers it still don't work. If I'm a green, you know, well, that's different. But yeah, no, it, <laughs> in it, the middle, yeah, you know, it's um, my boss. Well, he's leaving, kind of. Um, Mark Shaw, the guy who owns, who is the president of AAA, um, he was looking for a luxury American car, and he looked at the Lincoln. He didn't really like it. He looked at. He had bad experiences with Cadillac. And he's like, you know, but I want to buy an American car. I like American cars. And he ended up buying a Tesla because not just because it was electric. He found that kind of as a novelty. But he's like, I like the style. I like the quality inside of it. I like the performance of it. And so I got what I wanted. I got a performance luxury car that kind of stands out from the crowd a little bit. And it's, you know, and it it satisfied everything I wanted it to satisfy. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I, I hear. You. I, I, I agree. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing on the on the on the gas, like the ad stable. Let me say, I have a couple old vehicles around. Yeah. I fool around with, and, and I put them aside. And I, I, a year later, I start them up, and there's no issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I haven't seen that that problem. I've seen that problem on small motors, yep. like I have chainsaw yep. or the, you know something like that. But I haven't seen it on these, and I've taken them apart. And I'm not really seeing that issue. And yeah. There's not many cars, to yeah. be honest with you. I, I just I look at stable for a, for a car that you put away because it's six dollars and it can't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Now I yeah. I like to believe the ethanol in you know as bad as ethanol is in gasoline. I like to believe that the ethanol helps a little bit, but then it also collects moisture at the same time. So it's kind of a you know it's kind of a double-edged sword that it does some good and then does some bad at the same time so i i like the idea of you know if i if i had a a car that i cared about and i wanted to put it away you know buying a six dollar bottle of stable or or something like that and throwing it in there to me it can't hurt and the other thing Mm. it does some of the stable products uh stable 360 actually they claim that it um as it evaporates in the gas it actually coats the inside of metal gas tanks and keeps them from rusting Mm. yeah that's important yeah. yeah yeah Okay. 
Yeah, thank you very All much, right, John. All take, right, take care. Ta- see you. Yeah, bye yeah, bye. Happy New Year. Let's talk to Rick. Rick? Hey there, John. How are you? Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, taking a vehicle out every you know, few days and that just for to you know, keep it running and that. Yeah, for a good 20-minute exercise. I would question you on that at this time of year with motorcycles. All right. I saw I saw I saw a guy I saw a guy yesterday on um, sort of a dirt bike looking thing you know so uh, like a big dirt bike like a 350cc yeah. sort of you know that sort of almost on road sort of bike and he was wearing a snowmobile suit and all I can imagine is his real car didn't start <laughs> well there's actually some people uh, that actually all they own is the motorcycle yeah oh yeah and yeah. And uh, but they, but, uh, but you know, and God bless them to do it because you know I could I I a uh, guy I work with kind of who works in Florida um, has a has a big Yamaha, and that's the that is his that is his vehicle, and he rides it year round. Now Florida is not that hard to ride year round, but he rides it rain or shine, and uh, that is his primary vehicle, and. You know, he he lives about twenty miles from work, but that's the only vehicle he has, and he he takes it fishing. He takes it, you know, out on you know out on his, his uh, kind of family trips. Him and his wife, and they do have another car, but for the most part, all they have is you know all he has is his motorcycle and rides it year round. Again, you know, the coldest temperatures he's going to see is thirty, maybe. So. Yeah, well, uh, I tell you the truth, wind chill at thirty is pretty, you know. Yeah. Pretty cold. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay, if you have a motorcycle, leave it till a nice day. Just charge <laughs> just charge it up once in a while. Well, I thought I thought it bust, bust your uh, chops I, a little bit. That's with that all, one. That's all right. I need I need that. All right, okay, Rick. Now here, oh, you here, got a real question? question? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Now, the last time my wife and I had a dispute, you sided with her. So, I hope you do better this time around. Well, we'll see who's and right. That, yeah, and uh, um now, uh, you know, on a cold day like it is right now, which does your car end up warming up faster? When you, you climb in and immediately turn the heater on and have it you know, blowing whatever is coming out of the vent at that point, or you wait until you see the uh, temperature indicator move off the cold line and then you turn your heater on? Well, in the olden days... You would be better off, and not and not even just the old days, but in, in some cars still do today. Um, leave the heater off until the engine starts to come up to temperature, because what happens is it actually shuts off the flow of water through the heater core. So basically, what it's done is it's shortened up the cooling system a little bit, which makes the engine run a little hotter. Just like when your car over starts to overheat, what do they always tell you to do? Turn the heater on, because now you're circulating water through the cooling system through the heater system, which helps cool the water off. So for the most part, keeping the heater off for a couple of minutes until the engine starts to warm up, then turn the heat on uh, in a lot of cars works. But today's cars, a lot of today's cars, the water's running through the heater system, whether the heat's on or not. Um, when you turn the temperature control knob, what you're really doing is you're opening up a door um, that goes from that goes from fresh air to hot air. So, I don't ju- I don't want to turn the fan on full blast when there's only cold air coming out. That's just going to make me colder. So I might turn the I might turn the heat knob all the way up 
turn the fan all the way off, and I might even push the restart button, um, which will typically steam up the windows a little bit, but I'd push the restart button so you're not getting cold air coming into the car, and I'll drive that way for a couple minutes, shut the restart button off, then turn the fan on and get a little bit of heat. Well, you did a nice job of uh, staying in the middle. Oh, there you go. There you go. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a good fence walker for that. Okay. Okay, John. Have All a right. good one. You too. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Bye-bye. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We have a couple lines open now if you want to join us. Let's talk to John and Peabody. John? Good morning, John. How are you, sir? <clears throat> Cold. Cold. Every, <clears throat> I hope the heat's on at least. I got a uh, 2006 Camry, new battery, and I got the remote start. And sometimes I start the car from the house. I go out and the car started. Sometimes it doesn't start. Any suggestions? Hmm. Do you know, have you ever gotten close enough to it to see when it doesn't start, if it does anything? Yes. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. And then when, when I go in the car with the key and it yep. turns over, you know, really. Yeah. Yep. But does it? But if you if you went out there and you hit the, like a lot of times you got to hit the lock button and then the remote start button, or you have to do a little bit of a trickery to it to get it to go. Um, does it does it um, try to start? Does it crank over? Or does just nothing happen? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Um, it may have it may have a key bypass. So in other words, the the key to your car has a has a security feature built into it, and what they yes. do, and what they do is they and did, you know what you do is you take that extra key and you wrap this coil thing around it and you tuck it away underneath the dash somewhere, and that way the system always thinks there's a key in the car. Now it may be it's that thing is starting to act up a little bit. No, I got that key in my wallet. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. So you don't. So you don't need a. You don't need an extra key. So it doesn't. Your car doesn't have a security key then. No. No. Okay. Then, I don't know. It could be just a remote start unit starting to go bad. Oh. All right. One. One more question. Uh, when you're driving in the wintertime, your windows are closed. Your heater is mm-hmm. on. How do you tell if you got any carbon monoxide fumes in the car? Uh, when you when you fall asleep. Too late. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, um, um, you can't. Uh, carbon monoxide, yeah. colorless, odorless. Um, the chances of getting carbon monoxide in a car are pretty slim for the most part. Um, if you were really concerned about it, you could get a battery-powered carbon monoxide detector and put it in the car and see if you were getting carbon monoxide. Um, there, there was a recall back, oh, a year ago maybe with Ford Explorers, specifically the police package Explorers, that they mounted so many brackets and things in them that they, they were getting carbon monoxide into the vehicles. Um, and even at that, I kind of questioned a little bit because the tailpipe comes out pretty far on that. So, and the exhaust isn't going to have a leak in it. So why, you know, how would you get carbon monoxide in it unless you sat with the car just, you know, backed into something and sat it and let it just idle and idle and idle and idle, could you get some carbon monoxide up through the floor of the car? But the idea of driving down the road and having carbon monoxide get into the car with all the windows closed, not very likely. Um, If you had a, a, a maybe an SUV that you could 
crack open the rear window somehow or an SUV that you drove around with the tailgate open. I don't know why you would do that. Um, could could the carbon monoxide from the tailpipe come up and get sucked back in? Sure could, but in a closed vehicle, not not very likely. Now, if you put the car in a garage, absolutely, but in a closed vehicle driving down the road, it'd be pretty unlikely. I've seen more people have reactions to mold and mildew in cars than they have to carbon monoxide. But if you have a concern about it, you can, you know, for $20, go buy a carbon monoxide, battery-powered carbon monoxide detector, throw it in the car and see if, see if it goes off. All right, and well, if you're only half as good as in 2018 as you're in 2017, you're still a, a 10 in my book. <laughs> Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We have some lines open if you'd like to join us. Dennis is over there doing some work. And, uh, hmm, what was that noise? I don't know. I think I fixed it. Whatever that noise was, I think I fixed it. So there's a there's a, there's a picture. Um, I don't know. This 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 guy got I guess pulled over by the police up in Vancouver, British Columbia. He had a tablet and a smartphone bungee corded to a steering wheel, and also looks like a navigation system or something. But it says um, automakers that bring can't bring autonomous vehicles to market soon enough. It seems that some people simply can't drive without distractions anymore. It's getting dangerous with all the multitasking going on behind the wheel. Last month, police in Vancouver, British Columbia, pulled over a driver. Only discovery had been using um, string to latch his tablet and an iPhone to the steering wheel of his Lexus. Um, the cop says, can't make this stuff up. Guy had an iPad and an iPhone attached by strings to the steering wheel while driving. Yes, uh that's the ticket he's holding, the Vancouver Police Department uh, tweeted with a picture. After the stop, the driver was stopped because he was wearing headphones, according to the report in the Vancouver Sun. Police issued the driver a $81 Canadian ticket for failing to produce a license, but did not issue a distracted driving ticket, which carries a fine of $280 and four demerit points, the paper reported. Just when I think I've seen everything, Vancouver Police uh, spokesman Jason Doucette told the paper, Doucette said uh, the ticketing officer decided educating the driver about the hazards of distracted driving would be more effective than a ticket. I disagree. I think the ticket would have been more effective, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, I posted a picture from the, from the state police yesterday that uh, supposedly the guy was Bill. The guy's name was Bill. He was stopped out on the Mass Pike, and he only cleaned about two inches of or three inches of snow off his windshield. And uh, I, I can't remember the, the Dustin something is a state trooper, and he's their he's their uh, social media guy. And I follow him on Twitter. He puts some he puts some funny stuff out about some of the stuff they see. And his thing is, he didn't come out and say Bill's an idiot, but he should have. But he said, "Don't be like Bill," and they gave Bill a ticket. So I think they need to. I think they need to do that. Let's talk to Mike and Revere. Michael. Yes. Good morning, Doctor Paul. Good morning. I'm anticipating. It's always a pleasure listening to your show. Very informative. I appreciate it. In any event, I'm anticipating storage of my '06 Avalon for about three months. 
Now, having listened to your program on numerous occasions, I understand you're an enthusiast of a stable. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a good. I think it's a good product. Um, first off, first off, where are you going for three months? I'm going to Florida. Good Doc. for you. Good for you. What what part? Uh, Fort Lauderdale area. Fort Lauderdale. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, uh, the other, I have a quick question in regards to this. Uh, I'm storing the automobile. Yep. Does it also? Does it matter as well? If I disconnect the positive or the negative terminal in the battery, sir, I would disconnect the negative one. And okay. here's and and it has and it really doesn't matter. But here's why you just you always disconnect the negative battery first, because if you have a wrench in your hand and it's on the negative battery post and the wrench mistakenly hits something else, nothing will happen. If you put the wrench on the positive battery post and uh. loosen it up, and the wrench happens to hit something metal. What's going to happen? You're going to have a big spark and short, and bad things are going to happen. Maybe blow up the alternator or something. Well, I mean, or or you know, melt the wrench. You know, melt the wrench to uh, yeah. to the car. Okay. So yeah, so always dis- it, yeah, you know, disconnect the negative first because you can't do any damage to yourself. You're not going to cause well, I'll any leave, sparks. I'll leave the negative terminal disconnected for the period of yeah, time that I'm yeah, gone. That's fine. That's fine. And, and does it have any effect on the radio station? Oh yeah. Maintain, oh yeah. Memory well, and all of that? yeah. It it may or I I hate to say may or may not, but it may or may not. You may find that when you come back, everything's going to be like a brand new car. It's all going to you know all the radio stations going to be on eighty eight point one, and the clocks the clocks going to say twelve o'clock. On the other yeah. hand, I've disconnected some batteries, and and uh, as long as nobody touches anything, there's a little capacitor circuit in some radios that store electricity and hold some of that oh. memory. And you might get oh, lucky, cool. you might come back. And don't be surprised when you come back and you hook the battery back up if it needs a jump start to get going. If the car doesn't run perfectly when you come back because um, it has nothing to do with anything. It's just the computer in the car has also lost its memory. So what's going to happen is you're going to start, you're going to start the car up. And it may run a little bit rough for a minute until the battery, until the computer learns to make some corrections. And then, it, you know, as you drive it for the next couple of minutes, it's going to straighten itself out. But if you first start it up and go, wow, it's not running good, don't be worried in, 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 uh, until you take it for a ride. And it may take shutting it off and starting it up a couple of times for it to feel normal. Okay. Thank you very much, Doctor. All right. Help. All right. Thank Good you. luck and, and enjoy Florida, and uh, you know, stay off of oh, that. What's oh, that? Oh. What's that real expensive street down in Fort Lauderdale? Uh, Las Olas. Yeah. Stay Las off. Olas of, stay, Boulevard. Yeah. Stay off of that street. It'll cost you too much money. <laughs> It'll cost too much money to go there. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Thank Take you, care, Mike. Yep. Bye, bye. Your help. Bye now. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Chip. Chip. Hi, good morning, John Paul. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my the uh, the heater in my wife's car. Watch, she's got a 2010 Chevy Impala. There's never a good time, but this is definitely not a good time. Uh, been checking it out. I've got no uh, the blower's not working. There's no power to the uh, heater uh, control unit at all. It appears because I've pressed the uh, rear defroster and it usually lights up. Mm-hmm. So there's no power there. I'm thinking it might be the resistor going to the blow motor. Would that be a good bet? That, usually what happens when the resistor for the blower motor goes bad, you, yes. usually have, you usually have high speed on the fan only. Right. It's just totally dead. Yeah. 
No, would, nothing whatsoever. Hmm. I would start, you know, I would start by, you know, have have you done all the normal stuff, checked all the fuses and... Yes. Yep. Check the fuses. The, the one thing I didn't cherish doing right now is getting outside there and crawling because I know I have to uh, drop the panel. It's on the inside of the passenger side. Right. Underneath the glove box. Yep. And the resistor's right there, and so is it the blower motor. I was just hoping that, yeah. you know... One maybe would take care of them both. Uh, no, I mean it's 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 easy enough. It's easy enough to check if you got power to that. But like I said, normally every blower resistor that I've seen when it goes bad, you still yeah. have, and it's sort of what I mean. You you think about what the resistor does when it's on low, medium, um, what it does that that resistor uses some of that current. Um, to run the fan a little bit slower. When it's on the high speed setting, it bypasses the resistor completely. So it would be right. it would be odd that you wouldn't have high. I'm right. I'm you know, is there is there more than one fuse panel on that car? One like under the hood and one under the dash? There's one under the hood and there's one under the dash. Yeah. Uh, the one under the hood was checked. Do you think it might be something under the dash? Yeah, because I would there's no I, power to the yeah, rear defroster either. Yeah, if there's no power to the rear defroster, you have you have another problem going on there. So it's oh, odd okay. yeah. Um, because those yeah, I, I think you have a I think you just have a fuse out somewhere. Okay. Yeah. I will go start yeah. hunting. I checked, yeah. you know, there's two locations for the fuses. And yesterday, when I went out to check it, I'll be later, later in the day. I was hoping I was going to get water, but yeah. no avail. Yeah. The ones yeah. underneath the hood were good, but I didn't check the ones inside, yeah. per se. But yeah. now they're in a cluster, it makes sense. Yeah. How are, you, how, are you, how are you checking the fuses? Are you using a test light, or are you just visually looking at them? What are you doing? I just visually look yeah. at them Yeah, I my son. I would at least. He's got better eyes than me. Yeah. I would at least, if you have it, use a little twelve volt test light, or even a multi, okay. or even a multimeter if you have it. And you can even yeah. you can even use the multimeter on the um, uh, on the resistance side and just measure the resistance. Most multimeters will handle a, a twenty amp draw, or, you know, circuit without any real problem. And you could just go right. across the go across the fuse with it and just make sure that you have good resistance. And that's going to check the resistance through the fuse and the circuit a little bit. So you're going to kind of know what's going on. Um, if not, just get an inexpensive 12-volt test light and at least check the fuse to make sure it's okay. I, I Like I said, I'm willing to bet you just got to, you have a bad fuse um, or, or, or bad you know, I suppose you could have, it's too, it's, you know, even though, even though your car is going on eight years old, it's too, it's too new to have some kind of wiring problem. Right. Uh, yeah. I, th- I, I kind of think, I kind of think you're going to find a fuse that's out. All righty. Well, okay. thank you very much All for right. your time. I find your shows very informative. Thanks okay. again. All right. Take Appreciate care. It. Bye-bye now. Yep. Bye-bye. 617 Let's talk to Mike in Bridgewater. Michael? Good morning, John. Let me start. Uh, Good, sir. I just wanted to start by wishing you and your family a joyful new year. Thank you. Um, Yep, I hope you had a good uh, Christmas and that Santa was good to you. Um, In this climate with the really cold snap we're having, what's your feelings about adding dry gas to the gas tank? Um, Give me the dollar instead. Okay. Yeah, because... um, (laughs) I don't, you know, if you keep your gas tank mostly full, so more than a half a tank, and 
you um, don't let the car sit for really, really, really long periods of time, I don't. Th- I don't think you really need to ha- re- need to use it because most dry gas is either isopropyl alcohol or methanol methanol alcohol. Um, don't drink either of them; they're not good for you. Um, but they're yeah, but, yeah. Um, but the but the and they're they're designed the the methanol alcohol ones are designed to mix with the water. And the alcohol and the water mixed together with the idea that now you can burn the water okay. The the isopropyl alcohol ones are the isopropyl mix, mixes with the water, and then that the mixture together then mixes with the gasoline, so it gets burned through the system as one part. But to, our gasoline all has ethanol in it. Ethanol, like all alcohol, tends to attract moisture, but on the other hand, it attracts it and kind of encapsulates it. So by almost by design, the gasoline we have today has a dry gas in it. So the old the other thing is metal gas tanks. Metal gas tanks tended to build up condensation when they were empty. So when the gas tank was three quarters empty, you would get a moisture vapor that would build up on the inside of the tank just because the metal tank was cooler and, and the gas was warmer and it would build up a little condensation inside the tank. Plastic gas tanks, which a lot of cars have today, they don't build up the same moisture inside of them as the metal tanks do. So the the real the real answer is keep the keep the gas tank at least half full, and you shouldn't have any problems with you shouldn't have any problems with moisture. And you know, I I don't I think today gas line antifreeze isn't really necessary. Oh, that's great! And by the way, it's not a dollar anymore; it's two thirty nine. Oh, jeez. Okay, may I may I just share with you? Uh, uh. You were talking about, you know, rodents in the cars when you uh-huh. put them up. Um, I just learned of a situation where they went in and they ate the wire harness. And uh, to replace the harness with the labor, how about $8,000? Whoa. Yeah, That's I know. It was incredible when I was... $8,000 to repair $8,000 because the harness itself, but then the labor of getting yeah. it, you know, yeah. all the way through, you know. Yeah. And... And finally, if I just may, um, you've talked about the fact you worked on checker cab cars. I worked and I, 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 when I, one of the garages I worked in, there was a, uh, interestingly, a, you know, a, a younger woman who had a checker cab. And she had it as her personal vehicle, and her family had more than one of them. And so they would come in as regular customers, and, yeah, they were, they were kind of they were kind of goofy, goofy cars, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask you because my father had one. I'd kind of forgotten all about it with the jump seats in the back mm-hmm. and yep. all that. But you mentioned something about that they came through with. Is it whatever was whatever? Available? What, yeah, it was. It was like it was like uh, whatever the whatever was the best deal. So you could get you you could get uh, a Ford alternator. You could get a Chevy alternator on one. Uh, the um, you know the engines were kind of the same, but uh, even the brake systems would change a little bit. From you know you you look at the cars, you go, well, they all look the same from the first one they made to the last one they made, except for the bumpers. Uh, you know why why do the brakes change that much? And it's not because they necessarily got better. It's just because it was it was kind of whatever the deal was. I think the checker struck with whoever whoever they're buying their supplies from. Okay, <laughs> by committee, I guess. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. It, it. You know, and I, I know somebody who has a checker now, and, and, 
you know, their their dream someday is to turn it into sort of a hot rod. So they want to put like a, a big engine under the hood and, you know, kind of make it look a little bit outrageous. I don't know if they'll ever do it. Right right now it's just kind of sitting in the corner with the with the hood kind of half off of it. But you never know. Yeah, you never know. Thank you, John. I appreciate All right, the take show. Take care. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's talk to Len in Bill Ricca. Len. Len? 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 Hey, there you are. Yeah, okay. Synthetic oil? Yes. Yeah, uh, how far can you go between changes, uh, mobile, synthetic, four-cylinder? I will tell you no longer than whatever the manufacturer tells you you can. So, in other words, if your car says change the oil every 5,000 miles, I would be I would be a poor car doctor to say you could go longer than that, because okay. because um, then you're being then you're being um, contrary to what the owner's manual suggests for the vehicle. So oh. never never a good idea. Can you go in reality? Can you go once a year if you only drive twelve thousand miles a year? And even though the car says you know change the oil every you know, 7,000 miles. Could you go once a year? Yeah, you probably could. The only way I would even consider doing that would be I would send the oil out for analysis every, you know, four or five months and see if the oil has started to break down and was contaminated. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that that if you're going to spend that much money, you might as well just change the oil. Um, yeah, right, yeah. You know, our Volkswagen that we have says change the oil once a year or every 10,000 miles. Um, you know, that's, to me, that's a long time and we don't, we don't drive, it doesn't get driven 10,000 miles a year, but the oil gets changed once a year. And even that I feel a little bit guilty about our our older car that we have, the oil gets changed about twice a year, except for two years ago where it might've only got changed once. Um, but it, it gets changed about twice a year and I use synthetic oil in it. And I just like the way synthetic oil starts up on cold days. There's less tapping and you know, noise yeah. engine noises, and I just think it tends to work better all the way around. So, yeah, okay. And what about um, should you stay with the same oil that the car came with? It's it's a fairly new car. It's a new car, a year old. But the dealer is using mobile. So it, you know, the dealer is probably using mobile because that's what he gets. Um, you know, there are some. You know, if you you know you went out and bought a Corvette, for instance, it says you know. Uh, Equipped with mobile oil from, you know, from the beginning. Well, you know, that's, you know, could you switch to castrol synthetic oil? Sure you could. Um, uh, you know, I think all synthetic oil is good, is good oil, um, even to the point where, um, even to the point where with synthetic oil, I'll even buy the bargain brand from Walmart. And I've had pretty good luck with it. So, you know, you can, you can go with pretty much whatever you want. And that's my story on synthetic oil. Our phone number again, 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030 is how you get through. If you want to talk to us, I know Dennis disconnected somebody. So, shame on him. I have a picture of, and this is what scares me. This is a picture of, I think it's Texas. And it's a it's a new car dealership, and the floodwaters are up to the middle of the windshield, and it's a whole series of pickup trucks, and the floodwaters are up to the middle of the doors, and um, it says storm driven sales gains disappear. Um, 
the story is about you know are people buying new cars the real the real story here is what's happening with all these cars and where are they going to go so let's see Dennis has got he's got hearts and arrows now little things going on go here first let's talk to Paul in Somerville Good morning, sir. How are you? Hi, John. How are you? Okay. Happy New Year you, you can, you. you can Happy blame New Year. You can blame Dennis for disconnecting you. Ah, that's that's a, no, no problem. All right. That, that's the least that happens. I'll be fine. Um, I just want to show you. You mentioned a few minutes ago about the Ford Explorers yep. and the uh, carbon mm-hmm. dioxide. Um, you may or may not be aware. Ford has a program uh, that'll um, uh, um, that will is going to address that. Yep. Actually, uh, my car is going to the dealer next Friday. But um, it, it says, uh, in the interest of customer satisfaction, Ford Motor Company has authorized your dealer to reprogram the climate control module, inspect the rear of the vehicle, sealing and repair as necessary, free of charge, parts and labor, mm-hmm. under terms of the program. Um, it's, in a, it's effective until December 31st, 2018, regardless of mileage, and coverage automatically transfers mm-hmm. to subsequent owners. Um, so I didn't know if you were aware of that program, but that's out there. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. 20... I wasn't aware of that one. I mean, I was aware of the 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 um, the the police version ones that that Ford was saying. Well, it's the issue is more how they monitored all the racks and stuff in the vehicle. But in a regular passenger vehicle, and this was about potentially carbon monoxide or something else. That's what it, that's what yeah. it says. It says yeah. Ford is aware some Explorer owners have concerns yeah. about exhaust or carbon monoxide. Yeah. Uh, carbon monoxide. Yeah. And, says, mm. and then it says emphasize the vehicles that are safe, uh, but our investigation has found carbon monoxide levels that exceed what people ex- are exposed to yeah. every day. However, your your peace of mind. Uh, yeah. that, that's what I, I can I can I can scan this letter and send yeah, oh, email. That'd be great. That'd be great. Because I wonder what they're doing with the climate control. I wonder if they're letting the fan run for a minute or so after the car shuts off to clean the air out of the car. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. The letter okay. states. Uh, a half a day service, and when I called the dealer, one of the things that they emphasized is that we need the car all day. Yeah, and that, uh, that, so, that would um, be that would be great if you could send it to me. That way, I might be able to find the actual technical bulletin that would explain why they're doing what they're doing. So, yeah, the other, yeah, the other, I, I, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I have the program number if you're interested. Program number seventeen N zero three. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, but if but you could, if you could, in. if you could scan it and, and email it to me, that'd be terrific. Yeah, I'll scan it email to you this morning. That'd be that'd be perfect. Paul, a pleasure as always. All right, John. Take care. All right, take care. You as well. Bye bye. Bye. That was Paul from Somerville. I know he is one of the one of the fans of the Irish Hit Parade as well. So he's he's our buddy. Let's go to Sal. Sal, is that you? It's me. Okay, here's what I have. All right. About a year ago about no, this year, the check engine light went on. Okay. Yeah. I brought it to a local guy and he put that scanner on there, and he said, it's the thermostat. Okay. I said, okay. So I didn't change it, and everything was all right. So now with this cold weather coming, I was up in New Hampshire uh, two days ago, and it was hot for the, you know, for the thing to reach a temperature. Mm-hmm. And once it reached the temperature, it dropped back down. I, I don't know what it is. Is it the Maybe I should change the thermostat. Yeah, or? yeah. Change the, chances are why the check engine light came on before is the thermostat hung open a little bit, and the engine never really came up to operating temperature. And that was the code that says, you know, the the code basically says engine not getting hot. 
And right. what happened was it probably just sort of freed itself up and worked okay. And now where the temperature got really cold um, and you didn't see the temperature gauge moving, well, the temperature gauge is probably probably not moving because there's coolant being circulated all the time. So, okay, but, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, anyway, then I my car's in a garage and I wrote my control leaf started, you know, yep. in the morning and then it starts going up and it works. Yeah, it's probably, and, yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, the other possibility, even when, when the temperature gauge wasn't going up the way it should, what kind of heat did you get out of the car? Uh, when was, oh, when it wasn't going out? Yeah. Two days ago, it was getting like, it was not hot, hot. But it, it was, was lukewarm. Cool, hot, like, lukewarm, you know, yeah. Lukewarm, yeah, yeah. that's it, put that's a, it. Put a, thermo, put a thermostat in it. Is that what it is? Yeah, put a thermostat in it. Because okay. if you All said right. to me, if you said to me, I'm getting pretty good I'm getting temp- good temperature out of the car, but the gauge is acting wacky. I'd say, well, then it's probably a bad temp sensor. But where you're not getting good heat out of the car, I, I'm willing to bet the thermostat's bad. Yeah, it goes up now. Yeah, you know, yeah, I because it up and what, I let it run. Yeah, and then it. Yeah, but it's probably sticking. So I replace yeah. it. The worst thing that can happen to you is it does just the opposite. It sticks closed, and the car overheats. So you're much yeah. better off replacing the thermostat now. Okay. All okay. Right. That's what I'll do. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Let's see if we get one more call in. Let's see if we got Brad on the phone. Brad, is that you? Yes. Yes, Good morning, sir. John. Good morning. I had a question on uh, tires there. My daughter's got a uh, 2008 Ford Fusion. Yeah. And the tires, every now, because of this extreme cold, it seems like they're losing air. Uh, every couple of days, they're down to like 20 pounds, and i got to pump them up with yeah. the com- yeah, it's it's probably not the tires. It's probably the wheels. Um, what happens is, I mean, you can there's a couple things you can try, but um, what's probably happening is the wheel is not the tire is not sealing on the wheel very well. Does it have aluminum wheels on it? Shiny wheels on it? Yeah, yeah. There's probably corrosion built up around the wheel where the bead of the tire sits, and that's probably why. Is it all four tires or just one or two? Four. All four. Yeah. Um, you could go to a you could go to a good tire store like Sullivan Tire. They could break the tires down. They'll clean up the wheels. They'll put some they'll put some bead sealer on it. They'll put it back together, and that may that may solve the problem for you. But I've known people over the years that have had. You know, five, six, seven, eight-year-old cars, and the the wheels have been corroded enough where you can't get them to seal at all anymore, and you end up having to replace the wheels. So, and it has to do with the you know change in temperature and the cold and and all of that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd because you know they're going to lose a little bit of air. I'd probably run them right up to the max pressure to you know thirty-five pounds, so you're not chasing it quite as often. Uh, but yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing it. You know, every few days there's something there's something wrong. But I'm willing to bet, unless you ran over, unless she ran over four nails in the road, um, <laughs> yeah, which is you know you never know. It's always possible somebody in her neighborhood could be having a roof put on or something, you know. And uh, yeah. but um, but if that wasn't the case, I I'm willing to bet it is uh, it is leaking around the bead of the the wheel and the rim. Yeah, because the, the tire place that I go out of, they were saying like. All these rims are porous, they crack yeah. or something yeah. like this it's, year, it, whatever it, they are, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's it's possible. 
Um, but I have seen, especially like the like I said, the guys at Sullivan Tire. I have seen them buff up the wheels. They put a they put a uh, a, a commercial coating on it, a bead sealer on it, and that seems right. to, that seems to do a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll try that. Yeah. I was wondering, you know, these are like high mileage tires, as far as yeah. you know, the, in the in the tires are rated by the rubber compound, yeah. like out of rubber and stuff yeah. like this. If the wear, no. And I'm, and I'm saying, like, oh, does that mean because they're using a better rubber compound that it doesn't seal as good? No, or? no, no. It's the the bead edge is the bead edge. That's not going to change. So yeah. no, I bet I bet if you well don't do it today. I was going to say go out with a spray bottle and you know and you know some Windex or a little bit of soap and water and a spray bottle sprayed around the outside edge of the wheel. I bet you'd even see a little bit of tiny tiny bubbles starting with the edges between the bead and the tire. Right. Uh, beating the wheel, rather. And then if you had to get replacement rims, what were you buying? The same kind that you had on there? Uh, you're going to buy, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't buy the Ford wheels because they're stupid expensive. I would probably go and try to buy just an aftermarket wheel that looks close. You know, I'd maybe go, you know, look look at a, you know, go to a tire store and look or go to a, go to a, um, you know, maybe even like tire rack and see what's available. But you're going to spend 100 bucks a wheel. And yeah. up, yeah. Hey, we got to get going. We're out of time. We're Thanks getting lot, we're getting in the way of the Irish Hit Parade. Happy New Year! All right, Happy Thanks New Year to you as well. Hey, Bobby Brooks is here. He's right there in the studio. Right there, absolutely right there. I see him. Top of the morning, sir. Top of the morning to you as Happy well. Happy New Year to you and you your know, lovely bride. It was bride kind of funny. Studio. I thought I thought I saw Paul Sullivan pull up. <laughs> I saw her, I saw his car, and I'm like, it looks like Paul Sullivan's car. I'm like. Maybe he changed his mind. So no, no. Paul no. Sullivan is just fine. He had a, um, a follow-up procedure. He just need another day or two or hour and hour. He's doing great. Great. The, talked to him yesterday. All the test results looked really good. So he'll be back next week. So good. Yeah, good. 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 Good stuff. Well, you're here, which means it's time to go to. It's time for me to stop work and you to go to work. The very best in Irish music, right Woo-hoo. here for the rest of the afternoon into the evening, with the Irish Hit Parade. Bobby Brooks filling in. For the professor, I can't even talk. Professor Paul Sullivan, I gotta go. Happy New Year to one and all. Until next week, wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye bye.